It's Monday, August 1st, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, sitting in for Chris Hill this week. Chris is getting a much-deserved vacation. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro, Jeff Fisher. From Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Charlie Travers. And from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Guys, welcome. Hey, hey Matt. Happy you? Monday. I'm good, guys, and I've got the debt ceiling fever. Are you ready? (laughs) Well, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Okay. Um, At the time of this taping, it looks like we may have a deal on the debt ceiling, Ron. Um, Congress still has to approve it. The president still has to sign it. Right. There are are a lot of things that we don't know. Um, But the deal would increase the nation's debt ceiling by around $2.4 trillion overall, while cutting the deficit by an equal amount over the next 10 years. Exactly. So what's your take? So... Um, I was fairly confident the debt ceiling was going to be raised. I was actually less confident that any kind of deficit reduction plan was going to get passed. So I'm pleasantly surprised. I thought nothing would get passed, and we have $2 trillion plus hopefully getting passed. So that's great. Um, it falls short of uh, where the Obama administration wanted, the, the $4 trillion, where S&P kind of said that's what they were looking for. But it's certainly better than nothing. We've got some big things to handle in this economy. The GDP numbers are weak. The manufacturing numbers this morning came out weak. So uh, it's a step in the right direction. Jeff? There's more work ahead, unfortunately. (laughs) This is part one. Part two is by December, they need to decide on more deficit reduction plans. Uh, They're setting up, uh, this is an oxymoron, a super congressional committee. You don't think that's going to be very super? I don't think so. It, it, and the, the second part of this package can include another $1.5 trillion in cuts and or revenue or tax increases. From what we've seen, those look very doubtful right now. So I'm skeptical that a package of all cuts can actually do what this country needs in the long term. So you're saying the opposite of progress is Congress? That's nice. appropriate. Nice. Yes. <laughs> nice. And, and to Jeff's point, if that committee can't work out an agreement, then they're going to be across-the-board cuts that would automatically kick in. Exactly. And you love that. That's like, if we can't do our job, then this autopilot will do it for us. Uh, and those cuts, that would be automatically $2.5 trillion in cuts that would commence starting in 2013, and they would be split 50-50 between domestic and defense spending. And certain things would be exempt, like Social Security. So you're skeptical, though? I am overall. I think our, our debt is too high to just try to reduce the deficit. These aren't spending cuts. It's a reduction of future spending, in a way. It's not, we're not directly re- reducing our debt. We're just spending less in the future. But we are, we are theoretically reducing future deficits. Right. Uh, whether we be- have a balanced budget or even a balanced budget amendment one day, that, that's a, another story. And I'm, I'm concerned that it's, it's not enough, that we're going to need more tax revenue in the coming years, too. Well, let's move from um, default to the potential for downgrade. Um, last week, the president of Standard & Poor's said that a $4 trillion deficit reduction plan would allow the U.S. to maintain its AAA rating. Um, the deal we're talking about now is around $2.4 trillion, so it falls well below that $4 trillion mark. Um, Ron, yes. you used to work at the S&P. I did. I did. So as, fine, as a fine guy who works folks there, over there, are we going to see a downgrade? There's a lot of things going on here. So they came out and publicly stated the $4 trillion number, so they painted themselves into a little bit of a corner there. And, of course, they've kind of come under all the rating agencies, a lot of criticism about how the mortgage debacle was handled. So you would think that perhaps they will be proactive in this case and really put their necks out there. I actually don't think that's the case. As long as they have some cover to say we're on the right track, um, there's pros and cons to the argument, 
I think they will stay the course and not be the people that bring the United States of America's credit rating down. Um, if it becomes so obvious that you know we are just a complete mess, then they'll go ahead and do it. Um, Moody's has, is likely to, to stay the course for now, I think they've come out and said, maybe a, a negative outlook to it, but they'll reaffirm probably. I think S&P stays that course as well. And, and when we think about S&P, if you're like me, I tend to think of Standard & Poor's S&P as this faceless monolith, almost this supercomputer that just spits out a rating. Isn't that what it is? And, yeah. <laughs> These are real folks. I had lunch with them. Now, I was, I was on the, uh, the equity side, the stock side of the business, not the rating uh, side, but we're, we're all there at, I think it was one Broadway down four blocks south of uh, Wall Street. And uh, they are real people um, who get in a room and, and slog it out and, and analyze. Um, again, um, they come under criticism for being reactive rather than proactive. Um, and so they're probably trying to, to stem that a bit. But they're real folks who have a tough decision ahead of them. I mean, you them. can't blame them. Talk about career risk. You're the guy who downgrades the United States. You don't, you don't want to take that no, on? No, no. Okay, Jeff, if, if you're working at S&P, what are you doing with the downgrade? I would do what Ron said. I'd, I'd hedge myself and say things are moving in the right direction. We're going to give it more time. I might be retiring <laughs> before I need to make this decision. At the very least, you think they wait till the results of the super committee stuff comes through. You know, buy, buy some time. That's true. You would hope. Okay, guys. So it sounds like you don't think there's going to be a downgrade, at least with um, S&P. But if there's a downgrade, what does that mean for consumers? What does it mean for investors? Where does that start to show up? Uh, well, I think... Uh, it would likely cause interest rates to tick up. Um, and the interest rate, the, the Treasury bond of the United States is typically known as the risk-free rate, which most valuations are based on, um, the difference between a, a risky asset and a risk-free asset. Um, so this would likely cause valuations to go down. It would cause a sell-off in the market. You would have a situation where stocks are, the dollar value of stocks are less, but perhaps they deserve to be because valuations are lower. Jeff? J.P. Morgan Chase came out with a study that said uh, out of nine other countries that lost their AAA ratings since 1998, on average, the 10-year yield on their notes went up two basis points or two-tenths of, of 1% in the following week. I think the short-term effect may be small, but the long-term ramifications are larger if we were to see any downgrade at all. So so in terms of those short-term and long-term effects, though, for someone listening, mm -hmm. um, they've got a mortgage or they've got student loans or car loans or maybe they're like Ron said, got I, a small business. Do you think all of those will tick up across I the board? I think it would all tick up a, yeah. a basis point or two. Yep. Right. I think so the cost of borrowing goes up, valuations go down. Um, I don't think so catastrophically. Are we as credit worthy as France or Canada, which have AAA? I think the answer is kind of yes. I think uh, people don't abandon U.S. Treasuries. It's actually, I think, impossible for the world to abandon U.S. Treasuries. Mm -hmm. So I think you, see, you do see a raise in the cost of borrowing, and I think you see equity prices coming down. Um, I, I just don't think it's a catastrophe. It's a great point. The dollar is the world's reserve currency. It's more than 60% of the world's currency reserves. The euro is second place at 27%. So like Ron said, China, other investors, they can't go anywhere else, really. The dollar is it. Swiss franc? Mm, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Um, last week, we talked about what was on our respective watch list in terms of if the market sells off, what are some stocks that you may be interested in buying? And so let's go around the horn and just throw out a few names um, if we see the market sell off a bit. Charlie? Uh, I've been a longtime fan of United Health Group, which is the largest health insurer in the country. Uh, the stock got a little bit pricey up in the 50s, but it's actually getting hammered pretty hard today. It's down about 6%. Uh, and so if that stock continues to slide, this is a company that's been raising its earnings uh, every quarter and raising its dividend. It gets very interesting once you get down to around $40. Jeff? I'm looking defensively as well, and something that fell sharply last week was Waste Management, the country's largest landfill and trash removal company. They declined because trash volume actually went down, which was a surprise. People are throwing away less. But at this point, it looks fairly defensive. It's around $31. It yields 4.4%, trades at 13 times free cash flow. And the second half of the year may look a little better. Uh, Commodity prices go up, which helps their recycling revenues. Ron? I think I'm going to go a little counterintuitive. I've always wanted to own um, specifically Amazon and Apple, um, but the, the prices just never really lent themselves uh, to me doing it. Um, it's counterintuitive because they're consumer-related, uh, both of them. But if I could buy them on a dip and hold them for, let's say, five years plus until things get better, um, I think these companies have the ability to grow significantly faster than kind of our anemic economy right now. And so I think that'd be an interesting place to put capital. Okay, and let's take a step back from this, because I think the one thing that a lot of people would agree on is that these negotiations, as they've played out, have been pretty unsightly, um, pretty messy. So let's go around the horn. Charlie Travers, when you look back, what's one tough negotiation you went through, and what'd you learn from it? Uh, This was self-inflicted. I was in uh, Catholic grade school in eighth grade, so I was 13 years old, and we were doing a field trip to the local Catholic high school because they wanted to kind of encourage us to go there. Um, And so the deal was, because of the dress code, that you could not wear jeans on this field trip. And so me and my buddies the day before were like, you're all going to wear jeans tomorrow, right? And so, you know, we had four of us. We're all going to show up wearing jeans. (laughs) And of course, you know what happens is they all wuss out and I'm the only one wearing jeans. And so (laughs) that led to a multi-hour confrontation with my... uh, principal who was a nun and i had to convince her that my jeans because they were made with cotton were actually in compliance with the dress code and it ended up with uh, the nun in tears and all of this nonsense but that was an awkward the afternoon nun, well hold on hold on hold on yeah the, the nun in tears yeah she was so disappointed in me and that uh, my dad had to come get me it was, it was ugly and did she buy that argument or? i i have one in the end <laughs> okay good work jeff that's a good one charlie my, I've been married nine years, and about midway through my marriage, I had to convince my wife to move, that moving to Costa Rica in Central America was a good idea. And it took a couple years of negotiating to get her there. We moved down there in the middle of rainy season and lived in a very remote, hilly area where lightning strikes were common. <laughs> <laughs> so Yes, I won the negotiation, but I didn't win the end result. And you yet know? here you are in Virginia <laughs> once again. Yeah, it's a lot like Costa Rica. Ron? I think I'll, I'll go to something very recently. Recently, my son wanted the ability to um, watch WWE World Wide Entertainment Wrestling. I forget what it stands for. It's a public company, um, which is you know he's ten years old. It's pretty violent. It's uh, interesting storylines, but yeah, but come on, Dad, all my friends do it. And I was like, you know, I used to watch it when I was a kid. Let me watch it with you. I'm like, this is kind of crazy. They're jumping off of ropes. There's blood. There's he won. He's watching it. He's, he's obsessed. He loves it. And he's much more aggressive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, guys. 
Jeff Fisher from Motley Full Pro, Charlie Travers from Hidden Gems, and Ron Gross from Million Dollar Portfolio. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so please don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and we'll see you next time.